Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome to the very first episode of Psyche Magic. My name is Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist and I'm a recovering people pleaser who is currently tackling a decades-long fear of sharing myself and my ideas publicly. So, to quote one of my favorite movie idols, Cher Horowitz from Clueless, Carpe diem! <laughs> Let's do this. I wanted to make this show because I'm endlessly fascinated with exploring the language and wisdom of dreams. On this podcast, we are open to many ways of knowing, including but not limited to science and rationalism. We seek to explore how the symbols found in dreams, the arts, tarot, astrology, and many other wisdom traditions can unlock the doors to our unconscious minds. These practices and mediums often cannot be proven or quantified. They speak to that which remains mysterious and even miraculous, a category that has always enraptured me. From its ancient Greek roots, the word psyche translates to soul and also to butterfly. I especially love this additional layer of symbolism because butterflies have historically represented transformation. To echo the teachings of Swiss psychotherapist Carl Jung, my main man, I believe that true healing must incorporate transformation on a soul and spiritual level. I'm interested in helping to make the work of Jung and other great thinkers of our time more accessible and applicable from a modern feminist perspective. My goal is to share this adventure of dream exploration together, not to tout myself as an expert. This podcast is a platform for me to create conversations and community around a subject that has been so enriching for me personally. I'm so excited to share more about my dream life and experiences, to interview friends and guests about the intricacies of their dreams, and to hear from all of you along the way. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to Psyche Magic. This episode features one of my dearest friends in the world, Michael McMillan. Michael is a writer, an actor, a podcaster, and basically a renaissance man. He's one of the funniest humans I know and probably will ever know. But aside from that, Michael is someone who loves to have deep conversations chatting about anything magical, anything mystical or mysterious has always been really just non-judgmental fair game in my getting to know Michael. And I really appreciate that. 
I'm so grateful to him for not only joining me as a guest, but also helping me learn so much about podcasting and being such a kind and patient teacher. I'm excited to get to our interview, but I wanted to do a quick little introduction because this conversation really got me thinking about this idea of meaning making as being extremely important for the psyche. Anytime I'm having a conversation with a client about something particularly salient or difficult that's going on in their world, we're always trying to get to this curious place where we can begin to find something useful and meaningful in the experience even or perhaps especially if it's something akin to sorrow or suffering. Viktor Frankl, who was an Austrian psychiatrist, author, and Holocaust survivor, wrote a seminal book called Man's Search for Meaning, in which he outlines his experiences of being imprisoned in a concentration camp during World War II. During this time, he created this really beautiful framework having to do with mental and emotional survival, which he later maintained as his key approach to psychotherapy. What he discovered was that the people who survived were the ones who retained their capacity to make meaning out of the experiences they were having, even though they were going through some of the most horrific trials any human has ever had those who continued to have meaningful exchanges, both internally and socially, were the ones who retained enough hope to be able to sustain their will to live. There's documentation of prisoners in Auschwitz recounting their dreams to each other daily. And when I think about the ways that these humans were clinging to any shred of connection and humanity, This picture of these prisoners waking up and just having a few brief moments to share with each other before having a torturous day, sitting in community and sharing their dream experiences with each other, helping each other to make their dream lives have meaning. What a moving idea. There's something sacred about this, about the things that cannot be taken away from the human spirit. There's documentation of a similar process that went on during the Civil War. This is from a book called Why We Dream by Alice Robb, where soldiers would dream of their families and often woke with a renewed will to survive. This indicates something that Carl Jung would have called the compensatory function of dreams. So his theory was that a lot of our dream material compensates for an attitude that is imbalanced during our waking lives. This functions in order to get us out of our usual narratives that we tell ourselves and expose what ideas might lie in the periphery of our psyches. So for these soldiers in the Civil War, these freedom dreams that would come up helped them hold on to that search for meaning. As documented, their dreams did not start turning toward the darker material that they needed to process until they had escaped So the theory is that there is this balancing act that our psyche is attuned to, and it is all geared towards healing and survival. In my practice and my research, I find that so often our dreams are about what we aren't saying or aren't doing, what we maybe aren't admitting that we feel. So a lot of the time when I'm having a dream that I'm having trouble interpreting, I'll ask Carl Jung's question, which is, What conscious attitude or action does this dream attempt to balance out? 
So in Michael's and my conversation, we get into this kind of midlife process of surveying one's life thus far. A lot of what Michael ends up talking about is this same kind of search for meaning and purpose that Viktor Frankl so eloquently outlined for us as being essential to human growth and survival. So I hope that's helpful food for thought and that you will hold this in mind as you listen to my interview with Michael. So here we are. I'm so excited to be doing this with you, Michael, because I, A, feel really comfortable with you. You're one of my closest friends. And B, you're a podcaster. I am indeed. Yes, I have a podcast. I do this. I have a podcast (laughs) that your listeners might appreciate. It's called Bigfoot Collectors Club uh, that I co-host with another actor friend, Bryce Johnson, and then our on-air producer, Riley Bray. And we talk about aliens and cryptids and ghosts paranormal supernatural all that fun stuff um and then occasionally we will get into uh some of the more psych like realms of the psyche and you know lucid lucid dreaming has come up a lot um so this is kind of like this is sort of adjacent to what we do a bit more a bit more grounded and less silly but (laughs) Well, but I think that, well, we'll see. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Who knows how silly we will get. But um, what I'm learning and what you're also helping to teach me is that so many of these realms do tend to overlap so often. So you end up um, really digging into, as you're getting into the more sort of mystical aspects of existence, you're also learning about how what is outside is also inside, like as above, so below. We contain multitudes in our psyche. I'm excited. These kinds of conversations are so intimate. And so I'm excited to be having them with someone who I know really well and who feels comfortable because I think you're going to get, I think you're going to get into some really interesting stuff. Even just the little previews you've given me, the little tidbits, I'm already really excited. Great. Well, let's get into it. So you tell me where you want to start. You said you've got a few different kind of pieces that you want to bring up. Um, and you know what I thought, Michael, that could be cool is I have my tarot deck here and I thought that we could pull a card to like guide us in this great conversation if that feels useful. Yeah, lead the way. Okay, so here we go. We're just gonna pull one and we're gonna see. Yep, that's the one. I always wait for the little like tingle. Right. You got to feel it, you know? You got it. You got to oh, wait for the card. Okay. To okay. Are you ready? Oh, Michael. Are you ready? Yes. Here's the card. So the card. Oh, no. The is, Nine I, of Swords. I have thoughts on this card. So the card for the listeners is the Nine of Swords. The Nine of Swords is um, a woman sitting up in bed, holding her head in her hands, right? So she's in bed. Maybe she's just had a nightmare. Maybe she's just had an experience while she was sleeping that was really difficult. Um, And maybe there's something really important for her to understand. The sword suit is all about um, the mind. It's all about the intellect. Anxiety, worry, Mm -hmm. fear, depression, and nightmares. Yes, the ways that our thoughts can run amok. Um, So what an interesting card to pull. Well, I'll say on a literal sense, it's, 
it's it's a uh it's on point because no pun intended <laughs> oh <Sorry>. my god <laughs> Um, because what I wanted to talk about was a recurring nightmare that I used to have Mm -hmm. as a kid. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know if you just want to get into it. Dude, let's go. So this is interesting, I guess. Well, first of all, I just want to say, I've always been the person that wants to talk about their dreams and nobody else. Me too. Ever wants to hear about it. This is why we're here together and going to find our people. So, you know, there's a, uh. There's a uh, built to spill lyric. I can't remember exactly what song it is, but there's a lyric that goes something like, nobody wants to hear about your dreams unless you dream about them. Amazing. (laughs) You know, but hopefully this podcast will prove that to be incorrect. That has never been Um, true for me, like truly. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I was like, I would always go down to the breakfast table and want to tell my mom and my sister because dreams were like, and always still are to me today, it's like slipping into an alternate reality mm-hmm. when you sleep. It's like a movie when you go to bed. Um, I also think that, and I'm certainly not the first person to say this, but I think like movies literally recreate the dream experience. You know, you go, especially when you go into a movie theater, you know, the lights go down, it gets dark, and then suddenly this film begins to play. And through editing and everything, you can really recreate the dream structure, I think, really effectively, especially in films like David Lynch. Um, and I know that we talked about this sort of off off podcast. We both got in, rewatched The Sopranos this summer. Yes. And, um, you know, a lot of people get angry at the dream episodes in The Sopranos, but those are some of my favorite episodes because Me too. that's the power of film is to be is to giving us the ability to sort of represent the the subconscious and the dream state in a way that a lot of other art forms can't do exactly the dream sequence as its own sort of medium mm-hmm. um so anyway so i've always been into dreams i think they're fascinating i've always wondered about them i sort of have a theory about this particular dream as a function in my brain, but we can get into that afterwards. But all right. So when I was really little, I'm talking like two years old, three years old, I started having this dream and I've always had a good memory. Mm -hmm. Um, I can remember, I have early memories of living in, I grew up in Kansas city, but I was born in Colorado. Then my family moved to Minnesota and I have memories of of Minnesota. I remember the house. I remember neighbor kids. Um, I remember the, you know, I have my earliest memories are from there. And I was only, you know, we moved to Kansas City when I was three years old. So I remember my second birthday um, getting the toys that I got on my second birthday. Those are some of my earliest memories. And this dream one of the sequences takes place in that house. We used to have a playroom in the basement. Um, and I remember the living room down in the basement. I, I remember watching Brady Bunch down there. And I remember playing in the toy room in there. And so this dream began with, I'm, I'm walking through a busy airport. 
as yeah. a little kid. I and like so that you're speaking in the present tense, by the way. That's okay. A good call. So I'm I'm in a busy airport or I'm in a train station. It almost has like a European feel. It's almost like if you've seen the movie Hugo, Martin yes. Scorsese, it's got yes. that sort of almost like French. I can see that there are there's like iron girders and um, big windows looking out. And I bet you it is an airport because we were traveling <laughs> between Kansas City and Minnesota. I'd been on an airplane before, so I'm guessing that's what this was. And I'm obviously a little kid uh, because all the adults that are walking around us are tall and I can only I can't see their heads, you know, like I'm looking at their their butts. I'm like butt height or like, you know, uh, knee height. And I'm holding my mother's hand or my I actually don't know who the person's hand I'm holding. I'm assuming it's my mom or my dad. Um, but there is a man with a trench coat and a satchel walking ahead of us. And this satchel is like this old, almost like fisherman's like wicker satchel, which I think we had, my parents had one of those as a decoration around the house, but it's, it's got like a belt loop on it and um, like a buckle, a buckle on it. And I remember the dream is just very, this part is very quick. I'm walking behind this man. I'm staring at that satchel and I'm wondering what's inside of it. And I reach out to put my hands into the satchel and this bright red lobster crawls out and pinches my hand with its with its claw. Ooh. And then and then suddenly the dream shifts and I'm standing at the at my childhood house in Minnesota and I'm at the top of the basement stairs that led down into that to the toy room that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And at the bottom of the stairs is a life-size grape-flavored Barney Rebel Flintstones vitamin. <laughs> I can picture it, by the way. I can yeah. picture it. He's like the size of a character at Disneyland. You oh know, one God. of those walk-around characters. Yes. And he goes, he telepathically communicates with me. <gasps> And it's like, come on down, Michael, come downstairs. Get out of here. And I remember jumping off the top stair and tucking my knees up to my chin. Like, like a, a cannonball? Like a, a cannonball dive, yeah. And as I'm floating through the air, the dream shifts again. Mm. And I'm still in that fetal position, but now I'm, lay I'm lying on the kitchen floor and I'm looking out the window. And my mom is standing at the sink and she's also staring out the window. And I, I know that I had this dream after we moved to Kansas City because <clears throat> I have memories of this being both the kitchen in Minnesota and later the kitchen at my house in Kansas City. But in both versions, my mother and I are staring out the window and there's a mountainside that's pulled up, like parked right next to the house, which wasn't that way in real life. And yeah. there is a wolf pacing back and forth uh, across the window with glowing yellow eyes. And again, it's telepathically beckoning me to come outside the way that the Barney Rubble vitamin did to come downstairs. 
but I know this is scary and this yeah. isn't friendly. And Not my a good mother's idea. Fro- my mother's frozen in fear and I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and then that's all, you know, and the, the wolf is like very fairy tale like its mouth is open there's a long tongue hanging out it's like a peter and the wolf style wolf you know like i know it's going to eat me and then that's where the dream would end that's always where i'd I'd wake up i had this dream so often exactly the same exactly the same that I could predict what was going to happen next i'd be like i would start in the airport and i'd be like okay you start to I, recognize yep. what's going on. And I would go, okay, stick my hand in. There's a lobster coming out. Okay, now I'm at the stairs. I'm jumping downstairs. Okay, now there's the wolf. And then I'd always wake up. So there's lucidity. Like a, like a on the spectrum of lucidity, it's definitely on, you know, the, the end where you have less control. But there's yeah. still lucidity. You're still recognizing, oh, this is my dream. Yeah, yeah. And, but this is the only one that I remember really recurring verbatim. You know, mm-hmm. I have dream themes that come up a lot that oh, yeah. will recur, which we all do, I think. But I this think one so was too. like a this one was like a little short film yes. that played over and over and mm-hmm. over for I would say between the ages of two and four years old. Yeah. Like that pre pre five year old phase of life that is so much about your emotional and attachment development. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you said the lobster, by the way, I thought of this, which is the moon tarot card. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. I forgot there's a lobster in yeah. that. Yeah. For listeners, there's a lobster coming out of the water and there's also a wolf in there's this also tarot a wolf. card, Michael. There is no grape flavored Barney Rubble vitamin, however. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I might have to make a version of this card for you where I add that in. Well, there is a, there's a friendlier looking dog. Maybe yes. that represents, you know, yes. And I'm sure we could do a thing where we're like, okay, Barney rubble, Barney, the purple dinosaur, which didn't exist at the time, but like grape flavored Barney rub friendly, um, more of a friendly spirit guide. I think in that you sure. know, vitamins were something that I had to take every day that were supposed to be good for me. So it is a, it is an entity that's showing up in my dream. Yeah. That seems to be friendly. There's a method of dream interpretation where you look for the help in the dream. Like you look for oh, the help, the helpful aspect. Um, and so Barney Rubble was that. Yeah. And, you know, I did have a feeling, even though it was slightly creepy, I did, I did feel safe that like, if I jumped off the top of the stairs, he would catch me. Yeah. And then we were going to go play in the playroom and it would be fine. You know, perhaps the lobster represents like the subconscious mind creeping out from underneath the satchel and like pinching me to be like, okay, here we go. And then obviously with the wolf and, you know, I think that all represents sort of insecurities, Mm -hmm. you know, questioning at an early age, whether my mother or my parent would be able to protect me from dangers outside of the house. Yeah. Because your mom was frozen, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So questioning that sort of, you know, attachment, I guess you would say. Yeah. Um, And also just being scared that there are monsters that are going to come get me, which we all are as a kid. And of course, like 
primarily speaking, it's a physical predator. It's something that would, you know, in the natural world, eat a small child given the opportunity, um, which I think is just very strange in and of itself to think that our brains are still still in a biological state that as a small kid we have an instinctive fear of being gobbled up and yeah. eaten and so many of the monsters that we grew up with in our stories were about or you know like the witches in Hansel and Gretel like she's going to eat them you know um it's all this fear of being literally eaten <laughs> you know yeah like a small helpless animal in the forest yeah, and we and I think a lot of that is in our sci-fi and fantasy films still or horror films. It's still, you know, zombie movies are all about us being consumed by the other, you know, and then becoming the the walking corpse of, you know, I don't know. We're getting dark, but so I I, I so the, I I think it's kind of easy, not easy but interesting or I'll say the dream is accessible in that way to find its symbolism, you know? Mm -hmm. But I also had a theory. I have a theory because I thought about this dream a lot, obviously growing up. And I would wonder why I had this so many times. And I, yeah. I have a theory that maybe it was also a way to help train my forming brain uh, to like jumpstart like my memory machine. Mm. You know what I mean? That I wonder if it was just my subconscious playing back a tape and showing it to me again and again to sort of to teach or to, you know, as my memory was literally developing as a little, yeah. little kid. Yeah. Because that would make sense to me. It's sort of the brain working its memory, running its memory program for the first time. And, and, and I also, because I, the other thing that would happen was so I had another recurring dream that I think actually was based on a memory. Again, I was really little. And I know this because I have a cousin who's seven months younger than me. And in this dream, she is in diapers and she's a toddler, but she can't talk yet. And we're in, we're in the living room of my grandfather's house in Missouri. And I remember in real life, I think this happened in real life. We were standing in the living room. She came out of the, uh, from the bed, back bedroom, probably just out of a bath or whatever. And she was in her diaper mm -hmm. and she's babbling at me. And I remember thinking, oh, she can't talk yet. Like I can and feeling uh -huh. like a little smug about it, mm -hmm. but I'm only seven months older than her. So I couldn't have been, but I remember thinking like, oh, she can't really say words yet. And I can say more words than she can. And that memory would often play as just a little dream. And I'd go, oh, wait, I'm, I'm experiencing this again. And again, I would see this dream, memory as a dream on and off, you know, um, between those same ages, about two, two to four. So I guess that yeah. did recur in the same way, but that I felt like I remember that really happening. And then that memory played back as a dream. Huh. And so I've always thought maybe there's something to that. There's something about our brains at an early development stage that the, that one of the function of dreaming might be to help work that, you know, memory 
machine start get that going everything that you're doing well everything that you're doing developmentally at that age is all about consolidation and learning and repetition and we learn via hearing things over and over and over as humans that's what we need in order to retain information but it's interesting to think about the function of dreaming evolving over the lifespan because Mm. when you're Mm -hmm. a child you're not (laughs) you're not introspecting (laughs) about these things you're just experiencing them viscerally um but it is interesting too to think about the richness of the symbolism of your dream and how what Carl Jung would call the collective unconscious shows up even in the dreams of a child themes that feel more sort of ancient and primitive on that note we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back I had tons of nightmares as a kid. I was like a really, you know, I've, I've always had anxiety and, um, but I had a really, really rough time around four or five years old. I would have just bad, bad nightmares. I used to have nightmares so bad that I would recognize that I was in a nightmare. Again, lucidity. And then, but I could never wake myself up in the dream, but I would, I taught myself how to, move my hand to my eyes and I would pry my eyelids open with my fingers to wake myself up. Mm -hmm. And because I would get so scared. I was just about to ask you as a child, how you navigated having nightmares. Did you run to mom? Did you do this? But you took care of this yourself. You trained yourself to open your eyes. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, if you've ever had like sleep paralysis, you know yes. how hard it is to like move your body when it's yes. asleep. Oh, and I hate it. And then like the act of that was really stressful. I was never good at just confronting the monster dead on because I was always afraid of my own ability to scare the fuck out of myself. Sorry, I, I don't know if we can, you might have oh, to do yeah. this. Oh yeah, um, we're good. We can curse. Okay. I already decided that. Um, but I, I I actually had a moment recently where I had a really creepy, creepy thing happen in a dream. And I think for one of the first times, I'm 42 now, instead of scaring myself awake, which I did, which, uh, you know, when that happens, like you do get a flood. Now I get like a flood of adrenaline. Sure. And that adrenaline will wake me up. Mm-hmm. Now it's really easy. It's really hard for me to stay in a dream now once I realize it's a dream. But I was down in a basement, like an old creepy, you know, something you would see in a in a horror movie. And I can't remember now what led up to this, what, what the dream was about. But I was looking for something or someone. I do think that that I think in the dream, I knew that there was somebody in the house that was like not supposed to be there. Um, either a ghost or someone had broken in and I had gone down in the basement to find this thing. And then suddenly down the basement, wooden basement stairs, this person or thing draped in a white sheet came wow. running down the stairs and made a U-turn and came at me. It was like barking like a seal. It was really, really grotesque. And I knew that under the sheet 
wasn't a normal human being. It was some sort of like golem-like creature. <laughs> but I remember in that moment, I was just like, all right, screw this. I'm just going to stand my ground and tell it no. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I did that and it came rushing at me. I was like, nope, nope, you're not doing this to me. And then I woke up. So I didn't get to, I didn't get, I didn't get to see the benefit of standing up to the creature. Yeah. But I did in that moment decide, okay, I'm not running anymore. I'm not going to be scared of this thing. I'm just going to stand my ground and tell it to fuck off. Okay. So what this reminds me of, Michael, is that what I've learned is that oftentimes there are these turning point moments when a dream theme starts to shift. And when we have this feeling of having more agency and oftentimes those moments in a dream tend to align with finding that feeling more, even just in your life, in the conscious. Um, And there's actually a lot of research about how finding those more sort of lucid moments um, in a dream can be really helpful for people who are struggling with Mm. PTSD, nightmares that replay over and over, being able to have that moment in the dream of just saying no and finding some authority can be really healing. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I think I'm at a, you know, age now where, you know, I would always hear about this growing up from people who are older and wiser, where they got to the point where they're just like, I don't care anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? You give less fucks. You give less fucks. And I think I'm hitting that, that stage in my life. Yeah. Um, and it's tough because I, 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 I'm an actor. Um, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm what people would call a successful working actor. I think I've finally am reaching a point in my life where I'm like, okay, I did, I didn't do all this stuff that I thought that I might do in my twenties and thirties, but I did some of it and I've done a lot. I've done enough to go, Hey, you're making a living as an actor. And now I'm learning to sort of let go of that fantasy image and accept my career and myself. And also aging starts to do this to you where you're like, well, you know, from a physical standpoint, you know, you're like, I'm just, you know, I am getting older. I'm going to continue to get older. And some I ways know. this will we benefit my- We were just my- talking about this. Yeah. In some ways this will benefit my career in some ways it won't. But, um, I'm just learning to accept, I think like really for the first time, like accept myself for who I am and accept, accept my limitations and not be embarrassed or ashamed of them. Mm -hmm. And so I think having a dream in a moment like that, where I'm like, all right, goblin in the house, I'm I'm done. I'm done. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, Could I think that there, that rings true. What you, what you say, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm not, I haven't figured it out, obviously. No, no, no. That's not the point. The point is that there's a, there's a shift that's happening. And so it's being echoed in this theme. And even just to hear you talk about, I think that this is such a common human experience. You're framing it in terms of being an actor, which is a really specific human experience. But I have this conversation with clients all the time Mm -hmm. about, just sort of measuring yourself against some kind of arbitrary criteria that you came up with back before you actually knew anything about 
what it is that you're trying to do. Oh yeah. Um, it's like, why am I, I've said this to my, cause I've, you know, been in, in therapy for over a decade. So a lot of this stuff also has been, I've come to this place because of being in therapy um, mm. and talking about it on a regular basis. So don't knock it till you try it folks. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've often said to my therapist that um, why am I following the like delusions of a 15 year old who wanted to get out of Kansas? Like, why am I so working hard every day to become this fantasy adult version yeah. of what that kid had in mind? And when can I retire that idea and then just be who I am and then live, live life there and not go, God, I never did this or I never became that, or I didn't get to do this. And it's hard. It is hard when on social media, on Instagram, you're bombarded of course. with other people doing other things or living with different means and having experiences and going whoever you are and going, gosh, oh man, they already reached this milestone that I haven't reached yet. Or, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids. That was something that I really wanted when I was younger. My attitude is changing now, but you know, there were times we like, oh, they're married or this guy got engaged or look at them. They have a family. And of course you never know what's happening behind the scenes too. We know that <laughs> we know that online, you know, we know that social media is not real life but um it's tough that's hard and i think it's become harder to it's become more difficult to not measure yourself against a fantasy when we have access to to that measuring tool in our pocket which is you know instagram which is facebook which is social media yeah it's also a function of just a like a capitalistic society where I should always be mm-hmm. striving for something else. I should be reaching for more. Um, it's, it's all built on that idea. I shouldn't yeah. be satisfied where I am. Right, right, right. And I've had to really work on looking at my surroundings and going, you know what, if I can just continue to afford this for the rest of my at least working life because now i'm like i will retire one day oh (laughs) yeah i don't know another um, turning point yeah if i can just do this and achieve this for the next 20 years Mm -hmm. and not stress about it then i i'll be fine you know what i mean like i'll be better than fine um but it is that thing where you struggle with like but am i not being ambitious enough am i not you know it's that you you're chasing i i I constantly catch myself chasing a fantasy and that 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 applies to all avenues of my life that applies to health that applies to you know my physical my Mm -hmm. sense of my physical self um it applies to my romantic life it applies to my career. It applies to the material world. Yeah. This idea of, you know, well, should I still be driving this car that I've been driving for 10 years? Shouldn't I have, shouldn't I have bought a new, like I literally had that thought okay. recently, like shouldn't have I had bought a new car by now? Okay. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? This car still runs. It works. It's great. It's like, my sweet, sweet Prius. 
yeah, it's my sweet, sweet bird. Like, why am I, where's that voice coming from? Mm -hmm. And going, shouldn't you have a new car now? Or shouldn't you, you know? Well, and you, okay, you just lit up a light bulb in my head because when we first started this conversation, we were talking about the way that dreams function over the lifespan and how that functionality evolves. And what I'm thinking about now is that at this kind of midpoint of life, maybe part of what's happening is that our dreams are directing us back to um, just away from all of the distraction and back into a meaningful dialogue with the self and with where I actually am right now and what that actually means, allowing us to strip away all of these other um, kind of just distracting aspects of, of our daily lives. Yeah. Um, and so your, your dream makes me think about that. I feel like that's part of what's happening. Yeah, I hope so. I'd like to be, I think the the goal for me now, uh, as I'm, you know, continuing through the, heading into my mid forties is like finding that being a little bit more grounded, knowing that you know, I don't have control over certain parts of this, but I, but I can make a podcast and I can, yes. you know, I can write, I can pursue other avenues. Um, I'm entering a phase where I'm thinking about, you know, I always like teaching and thinking about doing like audition coaching and stuff Absolutely. like that. Working with, Cause I have a lot of friends who are like, will you work on this with me? Yes. And I enjoy it. I think I'm good at it. There's a lot of stuff that I've learned through my education in the arts. And then also just working in this business for 19 years that I feel is useful. And if yes. I, you know, I've thought, I've, I've thought recently where I'm like, well, I would have just as much joy that if people that I was working with book jobs, Wow, you know, as I would, if I, if I was booking a job, like, okay, if I can't get this job, if I do see one of those auditions where I'm like, well, this isn't for me, then maybe I can help the person it's for get that, you know, what a beautiful, what a beautiful concept, because what you're talking about is being able to let your skills and your talents ripple out and have right. a wider reach and a wider effect. And I do think that that's another theme that comes up in midlife is that the student starts to become the teacher. Mm -hmm. And knowing what I know about you, you're one of the most creative people I know. And you would be an amazing teacher. Oh, thanks. People should be so lucky. <laughs> yes. Well, they, might, they might get their chance. That's great. I, mean, I love that. Especially now that we're all on Zoom. I can probably, I can help anybody from anywhere. 100%. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, this has been delightful. These are just some of my favorite conversations to have. Yeah, me too. In life. I think that they're really um, enriching. Are you, okay, just for fun, just for funsies, because I'm curious, are you a person who like keeps and records your dreams? Do you do that? Do you go through phases? I, I, there, I have gone through a couple phases in my life where I've tried yeah. doing a dream journal and I just like a real journal, I never keep up with it. Okay. Um, but I have had, this is something we didn't touch upon at all. I have had dreams or a nightmare like that one with the, the creature under the sheet where I went, Ooh, this might be this might be the spark of an idea for like a horror movie or a, a sci-fi movie, you know? So I have gotten 
ideas from dreams, you know, and I've put put some of that stuff into things that I've written. Um, and I know this isn't my story to tell, but recently on the podcast, Riley, our our producer, who's also a very, very talented musician uh, and composes a lot of music for our show, he talked about uh, composing a song in his dream, which he remembered upon waking oh. and then immediately ran to his keyboard and wrote it down. And it was this really cool piece of music. So Beautiful. I do think we can you know, plunder our subconscious through dreams and get ideas and get inspiration for our creative stuff. A hundred, hundred percent, you know? Yeah. The most famous example coming to me is let it be um, by the Beatles. Paul McCartney dreamt about that song. Oh, about I didn't the, know that. About those lyrics. Yeah. Whoa. Guess who told me that Daniel? <laughs> shocking. <laughs> yeah. I know yeah, my husband, shocking. Daniel has a wealth of knowledge about music um and Paul was so, like yeah. also I'm gonna write this one without the three of you guys okay this is <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly he's like I got this I think it was that one or yesterday I can't remember I don't have my Beatles history but I feel like he yeah he's like don't worry about it I got it yeah I got this one mm-hmm. um I know I yeah there's actually oh I should I should do an episode about that because there are so many pieces of art and literature and music I mean the most incredible works that have been inspired by dream material well and i can't remember i'll have to um look this up or talk to friends but i i also know that there's like an acting teacher in la or was that would use literal dream work to help actors develop their characters and i'm not sure how that works because i've never taken a class or studied or worked with them but you know, if we can figure that out, maybe that's somebody you can talk to as well. Oh, I love that. I just think it's fascinating. I want to I mean, talk just, about it forever. It's wild. You know, I it still blows my mind that as many times as I'm lucid in a dream, there's still many times when I'm not. Oh, and then I wake yeah. up and I'm like, why did I believe any of this was happening? Which yeah. that to me is fascinating. And it really does feel like you're in an alternate reality. And I'll say as somebody who um, has dealt with grief a lot in the past few yes. years, seeing dead loved ones in a dream can be really healing and oftentimes feels like it's really happening or they're crossing over from the other side, which I'm open to that yeah. possibility. But I lost my beloved bulldog, Albie, a year ago. And I've had two dreams in the past week where he's hey where he's hanging out well he's just there and i've thought i've thought uh oh sometimes in the dream it's like okay he's alive now and i can kind of i get i get to have him back and now i don't have to worry about him having cancer you know so even though that like clearly defies all logic i don't stop and go Oh wait, this isn't possible. You know, no, it's like I maybe I need to feel this way. Right and now. and he's very real, and being with him is very real, down to like smell and texture and personality. And yeah, I get a little choked up talking about it. But I I just had I just had a dream two nights ago that he and my other dog Violet, who's still with us, 
I was like on a road trip with them and we got out of the car and he got off the leash and ran across the street to a farm and was chasing these chickens. And I was like picking up my other dog and like rushing there. And there was this elderly couple that were like, oh, it's okay. And he was like running up to them and getting his butt scratched. And then um, and then he like took a huge poop on their front yard. And I was like, I'm sorry. And I like picked up, you know, got out the doggy bag and cleaned it up. And it was just like it was you know, I'm sure we can unpack all sorts of symbolism from that, but (laughs) it also was something that like could have happened in real life. Exactly. Just a little little slice of life. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that one of the recurring dreams that I would have with Albie on off, often a theme would be him getting away from me, you know, and me having to chase and go get him. And I think that that's just obviously struggling with, I have lost him in real life. Like he, you know, I think the thing that's tough when you lose a pet is that fear, that separation anxiety where you're like, they are somewhere else and I can't I know. Get, get to them, you know? Sorry, I know. I'm getting choked No, up. I know. But. Yes. And I really do think, Michael, honestly, and this will be a conversation that continues to unfold, but I honestly do think that our loved ones, including pets, do visit in dreams with with the purpose of communicating and comforting and reminding us that their their consciousness is still around. Yeah, I do too, because it is sort of, it does feel like what we would talk about in the paranormal world a a visitation you know that there is somebody there being like hey i'm just i can't do this with you in the waking life because of the limitations of your senses (laughs) but in the dream world we can still hang out which is cool you know beautiful yeah Mm -hmm. anyway i can't talk about it anymore without sobbing I know on this podcast. trust me so I as a dog I mom to, I have to pull you back know a little bit. you know that I get it yeah oh, oh yeah I know big time um yeah I really think that I don't know I, I think that for me a big a big reason that I want to do this podcast is that I want to encourage more people to give credence to and pay attention to their inner worlds via their dreams. I think that there's a lot of really healing stuff happening, but that a lot of the time we're just not attuned and accustomed to paying attention. And what we know in terms of just neuropsychology is that what we pay attention to grows and develops. And so the more that we start looking at our dreams, paying attention to them, listening to them, the more, the easier it is to remember, the more they come something that's really cool for me is that, um, I do keep a dream journal. Well, I try to, I'm not always good about keeping up, but sometimes what will happen is that I wake up in the morning and I do my meditation where I just sit quietly for a little while. And oftentimes as I'm sitting there and going into that kind of altered state, my dream images will start coming back and just Mm. falling back into my brain. So there's something about just finding that quiet place and just allowing it to be there. Well, and I would say too, you know, like if we get to enter this sort of alternate reality every night, like embrace it. Yeah, <laughs> why not? I mean? Because I, I do think that in some ways dreams are as real 
And they certainly have emotional resonance and a physical. Yes. There is something tactile it's experiential. and experiential. Yeah. You know, it's as real as going on an amusement park ride or watching a movie or reading a book. You know, it's as real as that, which is pretty real. Yeah. These are some very um, rich experiences that you're describing. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. Yeah, sure. I know. Well, this is so fun. I know that we will do this more, but I I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks for being someone who actually wants to listen uh, to me talk about my dreams. Dude, anytime, like on and off mic and also like (laughs) vice versa. Um, Yeah, it's just so fun. That's it for the show. Thank you again to my guest, Michael McMillan a blast talking to you as always. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. That's psychemagic with a C podcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at psyche underscore magic. Psyche Magic was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Jordan Hale. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Daniel Higby, Michael McMillan, and any of my other wonderful friends and family who listen to the show in advance. You know who you are. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, www.psychemagicpodcast.com Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and feel free to leave us a review if you're so inclined. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Catch you next time.